You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. WikiLeaks' release of DNC emails prompt three more senior resignations. Security companies continue to see a Russian hand behind the doxing. Fears of election hacking rise as observers point out issues with e-voting. Citizen Lab continues its reports on government's adoption of surveillance tools. An ISIS jailhouse interview casts light on terrorist command and control. And NSA gets some new love from Europe. 18-wheelers get a proof-of-concept hack. We take a quick look at Black Hat. And NFL fans want to know, is Pokemon Go being used for mind control? I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, August 3, 2016. Three more leaders of the U.S. Democratic National Committee have resigned over the emails WikiLeaks recently published. DNC CEO Amy Dacey, Chief Financial Officer Brad Marshall, and Communications Director Louis Miranda left yesterday. The leaked emails have been controversial in their revelation of an apparent bias against candidate Bernie Sanders and in favor of his successful rival Hillary Clinton. We note that WikiLeaks's founder Julian Assange says his organization has a great deal more to release. Assange still isn't saying where WikiLeaks got the documents. WikiLeaks rarely discloses its sources. But security firms, including Fidelis and CrowdStrike, continue to say the hacks were a Russian operation. Claims by hacktivists to the contrary are put down to disinformation aimed at giving Moscow plausible deniability. Republican candidate Trump has alluded to the danger of election fixing, and his Democratic opponents put this down to reflexive conspiracy mongering. Whether this is conspiracy mongering or not, security experts do think that the U.S. elections are in principle at risk of disruption at those points where voting cross the Internet. This can occur either through compromised electronic voting machines or through interception of online votes cast over the web. This story will continue to develop through November and beyond. We'll keep you posted on both the technology and the policy. The University of Toronto's Citizen Lab continues its description of state surveillance tools deployed in cyberspace. Part of the growth in this sector is explained by rising fears of Islamist terrorism, and some of the growth can no doubt be put down to policy inertia. Foreign Affairs notes a European reassessment of NSA upward as that threat rises. An ISIS leader imprisoned in Germany offers some jailhouse insight into how the terrorist group mixes inspiration with command and control. The traditional C2 and operational planning are largely provided by a unit called EMNI, which recruits, vets, and delivers fighters to zones of anticipated terrorist activity across an international rat line. Control remains relatively loose, but the general direction seems sufficient to meet ISIS requirements. EMNI is likely to grow in importance as ISIS loses ground in its core territories. 
Yahoo is investigating the claims by a hacker calling himself Peace that he's offering a large trove of Yahoo credentials, 200 million of them, on the black market. Spear phishing continues to be an effective way to compromise the systems of unsuspecting users. We spoke with Dwayne Melancon, Chief Technology Officer at Tripwire, about the technique. Spear phishing is a kind of an attack where people craft a specific message for a specific recipient or a specific audience. And, you know, there are kind of mass market phishing emails where you cast a wide net and hope to catch somebody in it. And spear phishing is kind of the opposite, where you do a lot of research and homework on a specific target. And then you craft a, an email that you know will be either attractive to them or will kind of slip through their defenses. And then generally the purpose is to try to gain access to information or to compromise their computer system so that you can you know, get away with sort of either sealing from them or compromising their uh, infrastructure. We've seen where, you know, for example, one of the subjects that um, I've studied, a guy was... Uh, looking for parts for a vintage car and he'd done some um, you know posts on outside discussion boards about this so attackers were able to pretty quickly find out the specific make and model of the car he was interested in and then they crafted an email to him that sounded like hey you know i saw you on this discussion board i know you're looking for this kind of uh, uh a part for this kind of car and you know the guy's defenses have immediately go down because now you're talking about something that's not work related it's uh, something that has to do with a passion or a hobby of his, but then there was a suspicious payload where a, an infected Word document was sent to him saying, hey, here's what I have, let me know if you're interested. And he opened up the Word document to check it out, and it infected his system, and they used that as, as an attack vector to get inside of his organization. So a lot of this is, it, it only takes a moment, it only takes you know one well-crafted email to fool you, and then it's kind of game over. What's your advice? I mean, how can someone protect themselves against this sort of thing? Well, there are some methods that you can uh, deploy. So one is uh, you can use what's called sandboxing, where uh, anytime information is or a system is run on uh, your network, you can check to see what it's doing. You know, is it calling from one of your systems inside your firewall out to an unknown, untrusted system somewhere else. And generally what we see is that a command and control server is set up somewhere outside of your firewall. When a system gets compromised, it immediately tries to phone home to this command and control server. And then you know you've got some kind of a compromise that's taken place. So there are a lot of that's um, called a sandboxing approach because you allow things to operate inside of a controlled area and the moment they try to make contact outside of that control area, you can shut down that access and prevent a command and control server from successfully taking over one of your systems. There are other things, though, on the systems themselves. And one thing is a lot of organizations, by default, uh, set up users as local administrators so that they have administrative access on their local assigned system. Uh, that actually opens up a lot of security vulnerability. So what we recommend is that you, instead of setting someone up as a local administrator, set up all your new users as standard users by default. And that limits what can be executed on their systems. In most cases, it will take these kinds of uh, payloads and make them useless because without administrative access, you can't make certain changes to the system that allows the attacker to gain a foothold there. So another method here is to deploy two-factor authentication so that having a username and password is not enough to gain access to the system and masquerade as that user. You also have to have 
a token or maybe a challenge response that's sent to a smartphone or some other method to validate that this is a legitimate user accessing this account. And you know, when you put those things together, that provides several layers of confidence that people are not going to be able to just take over a system and do what they want with a, a trusted and privileged account. That's Dwayne Melancon from Tripwire. As we look forward to car hacking demonstrations at Black Hat, University of Michigan researchers add to worries about automotive cyber vulnerabilities. They promise a proof-of-concept hack against the brakes and accelerator of an 18-wheeler next week. Black Hat's General Sessions opened in Las Vegas today, and the theme this year seems to be speed. And not only the speed with which threats evolve and the speed needed to fend off those threats, but the speed companies need to go to market with their security products. We spoke with Allegis Capital's Bob Ackerman last night about some of the things early-stage startups should bear in mind. First, while the venture capital market has cooled a bit, generally not just for cybersecurity, as investors have come to worry that the market may be overcapitalized, funding remains available, but you'll have to work harder to find it. There's reason for optimism in that cybersecurity is now generally seen as neither speculative nor discretionary. It's something companies understand they have to have. But to attract investors, Ackerman said, you must be differentiated from the others in the sector. There are a lot of point solutions on offer that might be nice as a feature, but that won't sustain a company. Don't be one of those offering a point solution. Go for disruption and be clear about your value proposition. We'll have more on Black Hat in the coming days. Finally, these days we seem to always close with Pokemon Go news, and today is no different. Our update today comes courtesy of professional football. That's American football, not the kind played everywhere else on the planet. Detroit Lions guard Larry Warford is quoted in CNET's Technically Incorrect as worried that something's not right about the game. He suspects mind control. Technically Incorrect contacted Niantic, the game's maker, to ask whether there were any mind control parameters to the game. The company didn't immediately respond. But come on. We'll take our cybersecurity advice from elsewhere in the NFL, specifically from the Baltimore Ravens' John Urschel, a Ph.D. candidate in mathematics at MIT who's presented technical papers to symposia at Fort Meade. Come on, John, there's no mind control here, right? Is there? Go Ravens. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. 
The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe, uh, updating your Android device or mobile devices in general, but talking about Android today specifically, you wanted to make our listeners aware of some uh, some updates that came with uh, Android version 6.0. Yeah, 6.0, uh, or Marshmallow as it's called, has uh, granular permission capability. Previously, when you installed an app, it would say uh, the app is going to have these levels of access. Uh, and you would either accept it and say, I, I, I'm willing to accept that the app is going to access these pieces of my phone or these capabilities on my phone, or you'd say, no, I'm not going to accept it, and the option was you didn't install the app. Recently, I have installed a couple of apps. One, one was, of course, Pokemon Go. I'm of course, very, of course. Very interested to see how that works. Uh, and another one is, uh, if you have teenage kids, a very handy app to have is the Urban Dictionary app. Uh, and that updated on my phone, and I noticed that it requested new permissions. Well, in Android 6, you can go in to your settings and then to, to apps and then click on the individual app, and you can choose which level of permission you allow that app to have. So if the app needs access to your contact list, like Pokemon Go does, it asks for uh, it asks for that access. You can say, uh, I don't want you to have access to my contact list, but to my camera and to my storage capabilities and to my network, I see where you need to have that to work. So yes, you can have access to that. So you've got the ability to dial in uh, how much access you want on an individual app basis. Yes. And th- I think, that in my opinion, this is a great feature that Android has included with the latest uh, release of their operating system. So is this the kind of thing everyone should go go grab a copy of uh, a version 6.0 or how many people are going to be able to take advantage of this? Well, right now, if you, if you go to the Android versions Wikipedia article, they have a great graphic that comes from the Google Play Store. Uh, about 10 percent of the connections to the Google Play Store are on Android 6. So that means 90 percent of the people, uh, and assuming that's a randomized sample or an appropriate sample, uh, which it may not be, that, that means that the, the vast majority of people can't, uh, can't do this yet. So uh, the, the operating system needs to be upgraded on the device in order, to, in order for that to happen. Now, maybe the device that, that people have can't support the new operating system, so in, in which case it's probably time to go out and get a new device. All right, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. 
And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire.